So this morning we're going to be looking at the life of David. The message this morning is called HALT. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Have any of you ever heard that acronym HALT before? Nobody? Great. Okay, so this is a new one for you. And, uh, and basically the, the HALT principle is this. Um, the H in HALT stands for hungry. The A in HALT stands for angry. The L in HALT stands for lonely. And the T for tired. These are our four conditions that put us at risk of giving in to temptation. In fact, in, in part of the AA program, these are the four things that people have to be careful in recovering in their addiction so that they don't relapse. Does that make sense? So if you've had an addiction in the past, um, and uh, even with God's grace, you've been able to fight through that and be delivered of that. This is a thing that we don't understand sometimes. As people go through deliverance, they, they no longer are under the control and the grip of something that used to control them. Does that make sense? Then they relax in their faith. You hear what I'm saying? Then they relax in their faith, and they no longer become conscious and intentional, thinking that this could never be a temptation to me again. And they're wrong. Okay, they're wrong. And here's the double whammy that the enemy can bring. Not only will that temptation come up again, I can pretty much promise you it will, but if they give in to that temptation, which some will do, that's called relapse, then the enemy will come with a voice and say, you never were delivered in the first place. Therefore, you're a hopeless cause, and, and your life cannot be healed by the power of God. And it's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. But nonetheless, we have to look out for these things. We have to be careful to realize that when God delivers, when the Spirit of God purges our life, burns out stuff in us with fire, that we still have to remain faithful to him or we can become vulnerable. So this halt is something that you can kind of keep in the back of your head um, and uh, understand it because it will serve you well in the future when you find yourself in one of those states. Some of you might be in one of those conditions this morning. Some of you might be in all four of those conditions. And it's a very, very difficult time to deal with all four of them when they hit at once. But we're going to look in the life of David because he had a situation on his hands. David had a situation on his hands in 1 Samuel 30, 1 to 6. I'll just give you a little bit of background to that before reading that passage to you. David, of course, was faithful uh, to God. And we, we know of, of a great uh, deliverance, a great conquer in his life when David was just a boy. What happened? What, what, how did God use him in a powerful way? Who did he fight against? Goliath. David was still a, a boy, probably in his early teens, when he took on Goliath. And, and Goliath was a trained warrior, a seasoned warrior. He was the best warrior the Philistines had to offer at the time. And, uh, and David, by faith, took him on without any armor, but in the power of God. Not lacking skill. David was very, very skilled. David learned his skill 
through what I would say, you know, as we look at it from today's perspective, David was abused as a boy. As, as, a, as a child, he was put out with his father's sheep to look after them on the hillside, and that was a very dangerous job. And we know that he was somewhat neglected by his dad because when Samuel came to anoint one of his father's children, his brothers, David was not even called in from the field. He was the most dispensable son. And apparently he was the runt of the family. So he was the youngest and he was the runt. And he was the one that looked the least likely to be qualified to be raised up as a leader. But we know the story that David, on that hillside, when his earthly dad had neglected him, developed a relationship with his heavenly dad. And what we call that is redemptive love, the redemptive love of the father. And David was fathered by his heavenly father. And in those lonely times, in those times when he was hungry, when he was angry, when he was lonely, when he was tired, in those times, David developed a dependence, an absolute 100% dependence on his heavenly father. So that when the situation came up with Goliath, it was, not, it was a no-brainer for him. He didn't have to stop and think about it. He knew that someone had to stand in the way for God to show his power through them. And that's exactly what he did. He stood in the gap, and he, he stood in the way when, when God's name was being uh, cursed and called down, and he stood in the gap, and he used the skills that he had learned on the hillside. He had practiced those skills. Please don't think that because God is in your life, you can take anything on, and you don't have to learn any kind of skill at all. Don't think you don't have to study for whatever courses or schooling you have. You just have to pray and say, God, you're a mighty God just before the exam. You will flunk. And God will use that as part of training you to be mature because his goal for you is not to keep you from getting hurt. His goal for you is to bring you to maturity. And sometimes you got to fall flat on your face and realize that I have to consciously and intentionally use whatever gifts and abilities that I have and develop them the best that I can for God to supercharge those giftings and for me to fulfill his calling. Does that make sense? Too many people will not be conscious and intentional about that and not give it their best to develop those skills. But David was not like that at all. So what happened is, through no fault of his own, uh, there was a jealousy by um, King Saul who was basically uh, brought into his kingship simply because of his sheer size and the way the man looked. He had the look of a leader, and he was brought in to be a leader. He was empowered by God. You know, he was fulfilling a calling, but he fell short of being faithful to that calling. And David, as he came into Saul's household, really, he became Saul's son-in-law. David was a person that Saul became very jealous of. And Saul tried to kill him. And Saul actually had demonic episodes where David would play his harp and try to calm down the spirit that was manifesting through Saul, but Saul was still a chosen leader. And Saul was given an opportunity to repent and to, uh, and to take care of that. But even though Saul was not nice at all to David, uh, David was completely faithful to Saul in spite 
of his life being threatened. Of course, at one point he had to leave and, and to escape just with whatever clothes he had on at the time, and he had to leave. His greatest friendship at the time was with Jonathan, uh, the other son of Saul, and David had to leave. When David left, um, there were followers that gathered around David to the point where he had 600 warriors, okay? That's a lot. He didn't just have the 600 warriors. He had all of their wives and all of their kids. And so he was given a piece of property by the king of Gath. He was given a property called Ziklag. Ziklag was a huge property. That became David's home for about a couple of years. They built it up as a homestead, and he had 600 men and all of their wives and children at that homestead. It's important for you to know this. God was always ahead of David, and God was always looking out for him. God's favor was on him. David had, believe it or not, developed a relationship with the king of the Philistines. Isn't that weird? David was the one that took Goliath down, and the Philistines lost that war. But David developed a trusting relationship with the king of the Philistines, so much so that the Philistines were coming up against Israel, and David and his 600 men were going to fight on behalf of the Philistines. You know that? It's in the Bible. They were going to fight. David would be going into battle against Saul and Jonathan and Israel. And he would be taken up the rear of the army. The problem is the other armies that the Philistines were gathering together with, because they knew that Israel was a very difficult army to defeat, the problem was those other leaders didn't trust David. The king of Philistine, he trusted David, but the other leaders didn't. They said, these guys are going to be behind us. Who knows that in the midst of battle, they aren't going to come up the rear and come against us. And so the other leaders objected, and David was released with his 600 men. Problem was, they were three days' journey away from his home, Ziklag. Are you with me? Okay, so this is the background. Now, that is going to be a blessing. Later, you're going to find out that's going to be a blessing, because after this whole scenario that we're going to talk about that David went through, you're going to see why it was a blessing that David was released with his men. So they come home. Have you ever been away from home, like a three-day journey, uh, like having to walk three days? from where you are to your home. And I know I drive 10 hours from the north to my home, and all the time I'm envisioning home, right? All the time I'm envisioning my wife, my kids, my grandkids, and being home. You know, you just want to be home. No matter how nice it is when you're traveling, you just want to be home. Don't think that it's glorious to travel. Please don't think that. Everybody that I talk to that travels has the same feeling that I have, and that is that you can't be put up in enough luxury to not miss home. You miss home, and you miss the relationships of home. So here they are, they're coming home. So they're all longing to see their wives and their children. They're longing to see the village that they were living in, and they come around the corner to the place that's called the winding. That's what Ziklag means, the winding. It was a beautiful place. They come around the corner, and all they see is smoke. And as they come into the village, the whole village has been burned to the ground. And, of course, the devastating thing is they start looking for their wives and their kids. Fortunately, they don't find charred bodies. What they do discover is that all of their wives and children have been taken captive by the other enemy, the Amalekites. And they did a sweep in that area, and the last village that they were at was Ziklag. 
They burned it to the ground. They took all the wives and children, all the cattle, all of their supplies, and they're coming home from being at war and three days travel. So are these guys hungry? Yeah. Are these guys angry at this point? Yeah. Are these guys uh, lonely? <laughs> are they tired? This is a very, very big challenge for all of them. And that's a situation that David was up against. And what happened is he and his men were in distress. It took a whole day just for them to kind of digest the situation. And some of David's men, his, his mighty warriors, actually rose up and said, we have to stone him. We're going to kill him. So David literally had nobody in his corner. He maybe had some, some men that were not willing to kill him, but he certainly wasn't the most popular guy. So let's look at the H in this acronym of HALT. Let's look at the hungry part. You see, what's important is not just identifying what puts you at risk when you're hungry. I mean, when you're, when you're physically hungry, you are at risk. But also when you are emotionally hungry, when you are spiritually hungry, you're very much at risk and at risk of responding the wrong way. But David's response to hunger, it says in verse 6, I'm going to read for you. It says at verse 6, um, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of, to of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Have you ever heard this phrase before? David, strength. some of your translations might say David encouraged himself in the Lord. To encourage the word there in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it really kind of means the same thing. It means David had to come alongside of himself. He had to kind of lift himself up in this situation and carry himself. Okay, this is not uh, outside of the realm of faith or apart from faith in God. You know what? One of the things that we do as Christians, and I think it's a, a wrong thing to do, and that is it's like, it's like it's just, you know, uh, it, it's either I depend on myself or I depend on God, right? But we don't understand it's a both and. If you know who you are in the Lord, you also have to be strong. You have to depend upon the Lord, but you have to be strong too. You can't be a wimp in your faith, right? And Because and, if you wimp out in your faith, you can't just spiritualize and say, oh, well, God's going to take care of everything. I'm just going to go over here and sit down and make me take a snooze. And not in an emergency situation. What happens in an emergency, you got to take hold. Our family had an emergency recently where my eight-week-old grandson was transferred from one hospital to another, and we knew that he was going into intensive care. And I was up north helping at a men's conference. I had finished my week. I was helping at a men's conference. But at 2.30 in the morning when Diana texted me and said he's being transferred, you know, from Anna LaBerge to St. Justin's, I packed up. 2.30 in the morning, I just I got up and I started packing stuff. It took me till 4 a.m. to pack <laughs> because of all the stuff that I take. And I had a skidoo and everything I had to put away. And anyhow, and I started driving. I had not had any sleep that day. And yet, it's an emergency. What do we do in an emergency? And especially family, right? What do we do? We don't go to sleep and say, well, you know, we'll call in the morning and see what's going on. You do everything that you can, especially if you're a leader in a family. You do whatever it takes to support your family. That's, that's very, very important. 
David's a leader. So his response to this hunger was, I got to get time with the Lord. I need to spend time in the presence of the Lord. Now, you got to know the character of the person that we're talking about here. We're talking about David is a fierce warrior. He's not king yet, but he's a fierce warrior by now. He was the one that led the troops for Israel. And he never, ever was injured in battle to the point where he no longer was able to fight. So that meant he was a fierce warrior. He was always the first one in battle. And he always came out of the battle. He probably had all kinds of scars. I'm sure he got hurt along the way. But he was a fighter. And when David, when someone comes to David and lays down for a fight, he's not the kind of guy that's going to back up and say, well, you know, let me think about that. He's going to grab his sword and he's going to go. But here's a situation where he doesn't just grab his sword and say to his men, hey, we're going to go after them. He doesn't do that. Why? Well, first of all, he's grieved too. The breath has been knocked out of him as well. But he takes time to encourage himself. He takes time to take perspective. That's something that most of us in this room, probably all of us in this room, safe to say, at times we don't take perspective, we react. Does that make sense? We react. We are emotional beings. That's part of what we've been created in God's image as. But we tend to react to the situation. We might react by attacking. We might react by going into the corner and eating worms. I don't know how you are tempted to react. But David was, his reaction was to turn to the Lord, to get himself alone and to turn to the Lord. Then he did something really strange, because in those times, what you would do, typically, is you would look for a sacrifice. You would take a lamb, you would take, maybe he didn't have any lambs left. <laughs> maybe there were no animals to slaughter. You would take a lamb, and you would slay it, and you would offer it up on fire to the Lord as a sacrifice, okay? But you're going to look, you're going to realize something about David. David was ahead of his time. He was one of those people that spiritually, his heart was tuned to God, and he was ahead of his time. He was living, understanding what we know today in the new covenant. He understood things that in the new covenant, even back then in his time. He, maybe he couldn't name them, he couldn't quote the verses, but he understood them. So he sent for the ephod, which is the priestly garment of the high priest. He sent for the high priest, and then he said to the high priest, bring me the ephod. Now, what is the ephod? I'll just give you a description here of the ephod. It was a garment that was part of the priestly dress. It had threads of blue and purple and scarlet and fine-turned linen. It was an expensive garment for those days. And it was embroidered in gold thread. It even had two rings on the front of it to attach a breastplate, interesting, priestly garment that actually had rings made of gold to attach a breastplate. Now you would say, why would David send for this garment? Well, what he did was he put it on. What we don't, what, what people don't understand about David sometimes is he was a prophet, he was a priest, and he was a king. At this point, he wasn't a king yet, but he was a prophet and he was a priest. And for a mighty warrior like David, who had a lot to 
He had a good image. He had a lot to show by way of success. For him to put on a priestly garment was an act of humility. Does that make sense? His identity was, was more than anything a warrior, and he took off his warrior clothes and he put on a priestly garment. Why? Because David knew that if you're going to practice a skill, you need to have the tools, right? You know? Andrew and Marisol were up here this morning. If they're going to sound decent, they got to have the tools. Andrew has to have a good guitar, and he does. And, and she's got the pipes. We know she's got the voice, right? And, and you have to use the tools that you have, right? And so David put on the priestly garment because he was moving into now priestly activity. What was that priestly activity? For David, he would worship He would declare the truth of who God was. He would declare that God is the God of deliverance. He would declare that God was the God that delivered me from Goliath. God is the God that delivered me from the lion, delivered me from the bear. David would declare about the Lord. Then David would also begin to intercede for his men and their wives and their children. And he would petition because he lost two wives too and all of his children. And so he was in a priestly Mode. Does that make sense? He was focused, and yet he himself was suffering. And a priest typically will intercede for the people. And so David was in intercession. He humbled himself. He nourished his spirit in a time that he was hungry. You know, we need to nourish our bodies in a time that our body is hungry, right? My wife and I were working around the house yesterday, and she basically said, you got to eat. You know, even if it was craft dinner, I still had to eat. She knows. I have to eat, right? We have to nurture our body, especially when we spend ourselves. But here's what David understood. David understood what Paul eventually taught in Romans 12.1. Paul said in Romans 12.1, it took 11 chapters for Paul to teach about the grace of God. If you're ever studying Romans, I love teaching that book. The book of Romans, I've taught it a few times. I've taught the book of Ephesians at at an adult Sunday school class several times. But the book of Romans is a powerful book. Eleven chapters, it lays out the mercies of God. And then chapter 12, it says, Therefore, I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, in the view of God's mercy, right, in view of the fact that, that, that we had traded off the truth of God for lies and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator, In view of that, God made a provision to bring us into life and newness of life. Chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto him. This is your spiritual form of worship. Why do we have to know about Old Covenant? Why do we have to know about Old Testament blood sacrifices? Because we are to be the sacrifice, not hunted down and killed and slain so our blood would be put on the altar, but that we would offer to lay on the altar and put our life down on the altar and offer ourselves up to God to be an instrument in his hands. David understood this back then. He was ahead of himself, okay? He wasn't just going with the knowledge of the law of Moses. He was progressive and he was moving and I could share a lot about that with David's life, but we, that's enough that we need to know. So David was a man after God's heart. He's got the priestly robe on. He's, he's moving in the presence of God. 
And here's what happens. Even though David was angry, David was discouraged. He was grieved. He was betrayed. He was worried that he wouldn't recover. What if I don't recover? What if I don't recover in my own wives and children? What if my men don't recover? There was a lot of things going through his head because he was a human being, right? And anger can overwhelm us and lead us into the temptation of sin. That's why the Word of God says, in your anger, do not sin, right? Do not let the sun go. You know, it's basically telling you anger is not a sin. Anger itself is not a sin. Anger can be something that can motivate you in a very positive way. Anger sometimes can get the job done. All right? If anger was a sin, Jesus would not have been a perfect sacrifice on the cross. Because when Jesus came into the house of God, the temple, and saw the money changers selling defective sacrifices, Jesus picked up whips, and in his anger and rage, but it was righteous indignation, he drove people out. Animals got hurt, people got hurt, and Jesus was purging the house of God. Okay? Be like you coming home and your house is being used for a party, right? And even if your kids are sponsoring the party, it's, you know, if you're a leader of that home, a spiritual leader of that home, you're, you're going to clear that house out and fast. And those kids are going to be put in their room waiting for the wrath of dad, right? No, seriously. Come on now. We have a wimpy society today that thinks that we got to sit down and explain everything first to our kids and come at it in a, in a totally uh, mamsy-pamsy kind of way, you know, and, and what do you think the consequence, what do you think your consequence should be, Billy? Like, you know, where does that come from? What kind of thinking does that come from? Wow, what, what lack of thinking does that come from? But anger is not a sin, but in our anger, we are tempted to sin. I know I am. It, it's, you know, we all have Achilles heels, you know what I mean? We all have areas of weakness in our, in our life. And one of mine is anger. I have to be honest with you. I, I, if, if I had to have anger conquered to preach this this morning, I might as well just disqualify myself right now and say, because there's times that things just get the better of me, and I get really, really upset. And, and so, and, and I'm talking about David's response because it gives me hope, and it gives you guys hope, But because that's an area that I struggle with. I have to be honest with you. And, uh, but the enemy of my soul would like to say, okay, you know, you have a problem with anger. You know, you're disqualified. You can't teach this, right? Isn't that crazy? There's some things that God wants to raise us up to teach that come out of our weaknesses. Does that make sense? Right? Anyhow, just a little sidebar there. So David didn't curse He didn't complain. He didn't demand. He didn't give up. He did not quickly defend himself against those that wanted to betray him. He could have. He could have said, what? You guys, I'm the leader. I know you've had a big loss, but you want to stone me? Like, you know, do you want to be part of the solution to this or you want to be part of the problem, right? And, but he didn't. He didn't defend himself. He was nowhere to be found. He was wearing the ephod and he was coming before the Lord. And it says, David inquired of the Lord, and here's what he asked. Shall I pursue this troop? He didn't say, shall we pursue the troop? He couldn't say that because there was no we. Does that make sense sometimes? You're calling out to the Lord, and there is no we. You're left standing alone with a huge problem. There is no we. 
You would like there to, you would like to assume that people have your back and that they're not going to stab it. But he couldn't make that assumption. He said, should I pursue this troop? Got to understand the question or you won't understand the answer. Does that make sense? We have to understand the question. Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? He wasn't saying, he wasn't saying, oh, God, help me to run after them and help me to overtake them and then help me to conquer them. He wasn't, it wasn't really a petition, so to speak. He wasn't whining. He wasn't belly aching. He was saying, this is what his, he, he felt. Shall I pursue the troop? Because part of him wanted to pursue them no matter what. Even if he died in the process, if somebody was threatening my family and, 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 and I'm it, I'm going to pursue that. And, and if I die in the process, that's an honor. Does that make sense? There's, there's many dishonorable deaths, but dying for those things that count most to your heart is not dishonorable. It's an honor. Right? Because we know life doesn't end at the end of this life. It's an honor. Shall I pursue? Shall I overtake them? God's response. Pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm David, and I was bold enough to ask those questions... And then I heard that answer. I'd be thinking like, okay, God, I want to believe you. I want to believe your word, but like, (laughs) I'm just one guy and I'm hungry. I'm angry, right? I'm lonely and I'm tired. I'm like out of gas, right? Out of gas is out of gas, right? You ever been out of gas? Maybe some of you are out of gas this morning. Out of gas is out of gas. But God says, pursue, for you will surely overtake them. So David was able to, in God's strength, overcome the temptation of his anger. But he still had the temptation of his loneliness. David felt alone. He felt abandoned. He felt robbed. He felt betrayed. Right? It's one thing, the disaster was big enough, but to not count on the 600 guys around you, Right? He was like betrayed. Like, I'm a leader and I'm alone, and, and who, you know, who, I'm, I'm a leader. Well, who's following? Nobody's following. You know what? Leaders don't stop because nobody's following. Amen. If God has raised you up to be a leader, don't look around you and question, well, am I really a leader? Because nobody's with me and nobody's behind me. Lead. Right? Nobody else asked for the ephod. They couldn't put it on themselves because they weren't priests, but they didn't call for the high priest and say, we need to have a worship service right now because all 600 of us are grieving. Nobody else did that but David. And David was like a worship service of one. And he's inquiring to the Lord while he's declaring, while he's praising, and he's inquiring because David felt alone, abandoned, robbed, betrayed. We've never had these emotions, have we? Loneliness and boredom can provide the temptation to escape, to turn to addictions, to self-protect, and self-enhance. Loneliness is a killer. I can tell you this. I was an only child 
for 15 years. And this isn't about me getting a violin and pulling it out about my childhood. But I'll tell you, I longed over and over and over again for siblings. <laughs> and, but I didn't have that. And I turned, I turned to music. I played hours of guitar. I know people have come up to me and said, oh, I wish I could play the guitar like you. No, you don't. You don't. <laughs> because it was hours and hours and hours and hours of lonely times to play and sing and pump out songs and praise the Lord in spite of that loneliness. You don't really want that. You want the skill, but you don't want the process, right? Most of us, that's the way we are. We want the skill, but we don't want the process. But David here was able to resist these temptations, and he chose to believe in God's answer and trust in God's provision and strength. This was not David's first rodeo, right? Ephesians 6 says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Where's the word I in there? Be strong in yourself and the power of your own might. Where is that? It's not there in Ephesians 6. David knew that his strength was in the Lord and the power of his might, and that the first step is believing the word of the Lord. God will make the provision. There's going to be a lamb in the bush. You're not going to have to slay your own son. God will provide the lamb. <clears throat> and for us in the New Testament, the lamb's been provided. The lamb is Jesus Christ. He, he, he is our provision. He's the one that took on what we deserved, and he took our shame and our pain and our guilt. God provided the lamb, but this is in a time before David knew that a lamb would be provided, but he believed ahead of time. And you're going to see something weird about how God supplies in this situation. How are we doing, buddy? We doing good? You want to, are you playing with my watch still? You want to give grandpa his watch? Oh, you want to hold on to it. Okay, that's fine. That's great. Okay. And so David, in spite of his loneliness, believes in God's answer and trust. He wants to preach already. Two years old, going on 20, he wants to preach. God said, pursue, overtake, and recover. So David's there, okay, pursue, overtake, and recover. You ever had this kind of a thing going, pursue, overtake, and recover? Okay, I, I, have I got this straight now? God said, pursue, overtake, and recover. You see, because when we're in a crisis, we're not that clear in our thinking. We need a download from our heavenly daddy, and God said to David, pursue, overtake, and what? Recover. But he didn't say how this is going to happen. How would God provide favor? Well, David recovered 400 of his 600 men. 200 of them were too tired to make the journey. And maybe just not mentally tough enough. Maybe they were sick. I'm not trying to judge them. But 200 would be staying with the supplies. And David was a mighty warrior. You're going to see he was a good leader, a really good leader, a wise leader. But 400 of them had to push on in spite of three days' journey, in spite of the loss. They had to push on. They had to cross a river that 200 of them couldn't cross. They didn't have the strength to cross the river, let alone to go and recover. And so they cross this river, and David is moving in faith, 
knowing that God is ahead of him. Okay, now here's something about God. Is he with us? Yes. But he's also where he's calling you to go. He is where the ultimate um, fulfillment of your calling, he is where that is in the future. He is at the fulfillment of your calling, and yet he was with you. But he's there. But, but he's with you. Now, here's what we do. You know, if the fulfillment of my calling is that offering box over there, if that represents the fulfillment of my calling, then I need to go as directly to that as I can. Does that make sense? But here's what we tend to do. We tend to spend a little bit of time over here. And we tend to spend a little bit of time over here. And we try to fix things up over here. And we wonder why it took the Hebrews 40 years to get to the fulfillment of the promise of entering the promised land when it was what? How many day journey was it? Direct without any, yeah, 12 day journey. And it took them 40 years. So we're in bad company if we think like they think, right? But they have the same temptations that we do. And so David knows, I gotta, I gotta get across that river and, and I gotta head towards Generally speaking, he has to head towards where the Amalekites are going. Does that make sense? Because they're probably not, you know, they're probably taking a pretty straight journey home. They've got captives. They've got spoil. And so, and lo and behold, what does God provide him with? Here's this beaten up, sick servant sitting on the path that David just happens to be taking. Does that make sense? Now, here's what David's men would do. David's men would say, oh, this is one of the enemy. Let's kill him. And there's maybe something in David's heart that would want to rise up and take out all their anger, all their pain on this person who represents the enemy. What does David do? David says, let's feed him with figs. Let's spruce him up. The guy had been left three days without food. He was a young man, but still, three days without water or food. And David took the time when he should be plowing on. And probably his men were not completely for this, but he took the time to feed this guy. Get him back to nourishment. Let's find out his story. Finds out he's not even an Amalekite. He's an Egyptian. And he was an Egyptian slave of one of the Amalekite elite. And when he got sick, they just dumped him off. They just left him behind. And here's David feeding him and talking to him and saying, listen, you show me where they are. And the guy says, please, if I show you where they are, don't turn me over to them. They're going to, like, I might as well die here. They're going to kill me, right? And say, David says, no, I, I promise. And David's promise was good. So God was ahead of David, already providing the means. You want to hear something really weird? This guy had suffered three days and three nights without food. Think ahead to the cross. Think ahead to the cross. This guy, an Egyptian slave, was a type of Christ. He was a type of Christ. That in three days, he rose from the dead and he conquered all. Here's this guy, three days. He's being revived. He's not... He's not from Judah. He's not one of David's mighty men. He's not even an Amalekite. 
He's an Egyptian slave. They revive him back. He takes them right to the camp. Now, David is 400 in, in, in full number, all right? How many of the Amalekites were there? Well, I'll tell you this much. 400 young Amalekites escaped on camels from the battle that David, and David and his men fought them for a day and a half to win the battle. So how many people had to be conquered by the 400 men of David, right? 400 escaped on camels, almost unnoticed. So how many did they have to fight? And they conquered with the favor of the Lord, just like he conquered Goliath. And fourthly, David was tired. David and his 600 men were exhausted, low on supplies. Tiredness, sickness is a state of vulnerability to temptation to give up. You ever been tired and sick? You've been sick and tired? (laughs) Doesn't matter what order that is. It's not a time when you feel like going out and fighting another battle, right? You just want to take your medicine and just get under the covers and just either die or recover, right? Right? It's true. We're all made of the same stuff. Like, there's nobody here that's made of something different, right? What's the, what, what is the, the different factor is the degree to which we allow the Spirit of God to work through us, right? That, that's that's the, the great equalizer. It puts us all on equal ground no matter what we're struggling with. So David recovered 400 of the 600. 200 stayed with the supplies. God provided the informant who was sick and abandoned, and David and his men pursued, overtook, and recovered all of the spoil of the enemy. Don't forget, the enemy had attacked many other villages before it attacked Ziklag, so there was a lot of spoil. How much spoil was there? Let's read here in the scripture, if you have your Bible open, in 1 Samuel 30. It says this, verse 22. Well, Yeah. All of the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David. So amongst this 400, there were some wicked and worthless men. (laughs) Or the word wouldn't say it, right? Some of them didn't like the fact that David was going to share the spoil with the 200 that stayed. That's a different decision as a leader, right? He made a different decision uh, to put on the priestly robe than than any of the others made. He made a different decision when they found the Egyptian than all the others would make. And now he's making a different decision when it comes to the spoil. You understand that David is a seasoned leader? Has the wisdom of God? But David said, my brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us. Who has preserved us and delivered into our hands the troop that came against us? For who will heed you in the matter? But as his part is who goes down to battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. And he established a principle, so it was from that day forward. He, David, made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day that those that stay shared the same spoil as those that went. That's leadership. Because if you're one of those guys that stayed, 
Maybe you were sick, maybe you were exhausted, but you're a warrior at heart, and you stayed. Just your own guilt and shame would say, okay, I mean, I, I get my wife and children back, but I don't deserve to be part of the spoil. But if you receive the mercy of your leader in this battle, what's going to happen in the next challenge? What's going to happen in the next battle? Who's going to be the ones that are going to be coming forward and saying, you know what? God was merciful to me, and I'm going to go into the battle, and someone else might stay behind, but I am grateful for what God has provided me in my life, right? He knew how to rally together people who can be restored and in their courage. What are some of the lessons we can learn from this, folks? There's, there's a few good lessons here. First of all, recognize the halt principle. Keep that in your head. Recognize when you're hungry. Recognize when you're angry. Right? Don't just try to suppress it and pretend that it's not going on, you know? Admit that you're hungry. Not just physically, but, but emotionally or spiritually. Admit that you're angry. Honestly, I, I don't know what to do with people that don't admit that they're angry. I have to deal with this all the time as a therapist. They come in with a presenting problem, which is not really the presenting problem, and you start digging around a bit and hear their story from the past, and there's a bunch of stuff that's obvious to you because you've been in the saddle for like 30-some-odd years. It's not the first time you've seen this, but the person is not acknowledging what's right in their face, and you can't just slam them over the head with it. They have to kind of come into an understanding of it, because if you don't acknowledge the problem, you can't even confess your sin. You can't confess what you don't acknowledge, and if you don't confess, you're not going to repent, and you won't be restored, so what's not acknowledged can't be confessed, can't be repented of, and you can't have restoration. Does that make sense? How important is it that we acknowledge? David said in Psalm 32, when I acknowledge my sin and I did not cover up my iniquity, I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and he forgave the guilt of my sin. That was after the sin with Bathsheba. And uh, it, was a, it was a pretty bad, pretty dark spot in his life, right? Seek the Lord in all situations of loss, right? Seek the Lord in all, no matter how bad it is, in all situations of loss, seek the Lord. You might not be fortunate enough to have a wife like I have who can come in and say in her faithfulness to the Lord that, you know, God is, is going to use this somehow, you know, when I can't see it at times, which is, can be quite often. Um, to have someone in your life that's faithful like that, and seek the Lord in all times of life. We support each other in this, but that's part of our union. But you might not have a spouse like that, and, and, and we're still called to seek the Lord. Expect the provision of the Lord. <laughs> Expect his provision. You know in the Bible when it says, wait upon the Lord, and he will renew your strength, and shall mount up with wings as eagles? That's not like a passive wait. That's not like, okay, God. I'm just going to wait for you. You know, what am I going to do in the meantime? Maybe I'll fiddle around with this tambourine. You know, maybe I'll play around. I'm, I'm waiting on the Lord. Baloney, you're waiting on the Lord. The Bible says waiting on the Lord is eager expectation. It's not a passive thing. It's, okay, God, I'm expecting of you. Okay, God, I'm going to pursue. I'm going to overtake. In your power, I'm going to recover. That's waiting on the Lord. 
It's active expectation. That's what it is. Waiting on the Lord. And now act on his promises by faith. What promises do you remember? If it's only one, act on that. Does that make sense? You know, your memory will bounce back. But if it's only one thing you can remember, act on that. Don't go backwards. Don't stand still. Move forward. Okay? We got to do this, you guys. No matter what we're up against, we got to do this. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. God is going to exalt his own in due time. God will give you the favor. God will provide the provision, and he will exalt you in due time. Meanwhile, keep moving with what you know and declare it and act on it. Don't give up. And finally, what does this teach us this morning? Share generously. You know what? I, I, I have a hard time getting this in my head. I'm not trying to be judgmental of any of you or anyone else. I'm just telling you in my head what I struggle with. When I see that God has blessed somebody, you know, they were in a difficult time, and they, they sought the Lord, and we prayed for them even. And, and I'm not thinking of any one person, but I've just seen it, unfortunately, over and over again. And God provides for them. And we'll say to each other, wow, didn't God provide for you? And they'll agree, God provided for me. And then what happens is they get stingy with the provision. And it's like, say what? God provided for you generously, and you have a provision, and you're going to what, bury it in a hole somewhere and protect it? Invest it. Invest what God has provided for you. Invest it into the life of someone else. Give generously beyond what you receive. David didn't just give to the 200 guys. He started giving to elders in the villages all along the way that were raided. He started to give them back the spoil that was taken from them. David gave it all away. If you don't give it all away, I'm just saying, it's almost like declaring that, well, God's not going to supply anymore, <laughs> which isn't true. He will multiply whatever you give. Now, don't give it and say, well, God, I'm giving this, and you're going to have to multiply what I give. Don't be stupid. I'm just saying, okay? You might not like me saying that, but it's out. Don't be stupid. Give generously with what God has given you because that will bless somebody else and that person may rise up and bless you. You know? And there's a buddy of mine and his wife, Jen's a wife. Jennifer is the wife. My buddy's away right now down in the States. And how many years ago, Jen, were we standing in church that Sunday morning? We were standing in church on a Sunday morning. I didn't know them. And God spoke to me and said, give $50 to the guy behind you. Right? You remember that? And I turned around, and there's Wayne standing behind me and Jennifer. And I went and shook his hand with $50. And I didn't think about it. I just, I didn't have a whole lot more than 50 on me at the time. But anyhow, and, and 
that has become a very close friendship for us over the years. Right? You don't know what God is up to. You know, how much is a close friendship worth? You think it's worth 50 bucks? <laughs> it's priceless. It's priceless. And I'm not just trying to brag on those friends. I'm just saying that we all need to give generously because God is not a respecter of persons, and he will honor what we give out of obedience to him, right? And so these are the lessons this morning, you guys. Halt. You know, stop sign, halt. <laughs> can be a memory thing for you. Seek the Lord. Expect his provision. Act on his promises and share generously. The life of David speaks of his success as a leader. David messed up along the way, and so will you. <laughs> but you know what? Read the end of his life. He died well. Even after a huge, huge sin that cost him dearly and a process of repentance, he was once again called a man after God's heart, and he died well. God is a redemptive God, and we can count on him to overcome addiction, to overcome wounds. We can count on him to overcome hunger. <laughs> we can count on him to overcome anger. We can count on him to overcome loneliness. We can count on him to overcome our tiredness. And he wants to bring us success. He's saying to you, not just to David, pursue, right? Overtake and recover all. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for David as an example to us of a man who trusted himself in you completely of a man who was able to go through the kind of battles that we each have to go through here today. And Father, I just pray for each one here, whatever battle they might be fighting today, whatever disaster they might be looking at unexpectedly, however they might be struggling in their health or personally or financially, in whatever way, Lord, that they would take you at your word this morning, Father, that your spirit would reinforce these principles from your word this morning and the example that's given in the life of David. And, Father, that that would allow not only for victory, but also for your generous grace and love to be shared generously amongst others. And we pray this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, listen, if you this morning have... Just uh, something in particular that you want to uh, have prayed for or to pray about. Uh, you want to spend time alone at the altar. I don't have an ephod for you to put on, but uh, I'll share my vest. <laughs> um, but seriously, if you, if you have something that maybe has been struck up this morning for you because of the word, I never know how God is going to use the message in people's hearts. I know that he does, Okay. But if, if that strikes something up for you this morning, please don't just leave. Um, spend some time at the altar. Let us have a chance to pray for you. I can pray for you. Chelsea's here. She can uh, kick in and, and pray for you. Um, we have uh, others here that will pray for you as well this morning. And, uh, but take some time to, uh, to really apply the word 
You know, it's one thing for us to share the word, and it's another thing to apply it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So take the time this morning to apply the word. And you can do that sitting right where you are, or you can do it on your way home. But just, I, we, I believe that here at Passion Center, the altar is always open. Right? That's a beautiful thing about this place. One of the many beautiful things about this place is the altar is always open. 